only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Scripture reading for today is found in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The book of Romans is found between Acts and 1 Corinthians, and in your pew Bibles, the reading is found on page 947. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's ask the Lord to bless us. Lord, we thank you for this precious word that you've given us. We pray that you would help us to understand it by your spirit and give us faith and conviction to live it out to your glory and honor. Amen. This is one of those uh, therefore passages, right? Uh, that you realize we're in the middle of something, and what's the therefore, therefore? And he tells you it's about the mercies of God. He's been talking, really, for 11 chapters about the mercies of God. And as we come to this passage, it's against those mercies, and we'll discuss this in a minute, against those mercies and because of those mercies that we would give ourselves up to God as a living sacrifice. For those of you who are uh, maybe here for the first time visiting, we've been talking about the subject of worship. And we're talking about different aspects of worship. The first, which just readily comes to mind, kind of the central feel of worship, is that of adoration, that of finding joy in Him, admiring Him, being in awe of Him. Uh, being astonished at Him, being amazed at Him. That, that's really the essence of worship and adoration. And it can be convicting to us because we realize we can go through a worship service or say, I'm living for God's glory, but really not be astonished at God, not be amazed at God. It is a happy thing to be amazed at things generally. 
You know, when you see the Grand Canyon or you, uh, as Chase and I climbed to the top of a mountain one time in uh, 12,000 foot one, not quite the 14er, but it was too much for me. And we looked all the way around us. It was awesome. And I, I kind of lost myself in just the joy of my son and I at the top of a mountain looking around. It's that kind of thing. It's interesting yesterday as we heard uh, Dr. Paul Tripp, counselor from uh, Westminster Seminary, speak. It sounded so much a part of what we've been saying. He says, awe is an anchor for you. An anchor. I love that. Having an awe in God, there's nothing that can compete with that, he says. There's nothing that can come against that in a sense. If your life is built upon the fear of God and awe of God, it's interesting in the new covenant, the thing he says that he will do for us. Think, a new covenant, he's going to accomplish good. He says, I will rejoice over you to do you good. I will not turn away from doing you good. I will do you good with all my heart and soul. What is it? I will put my fear in your heart. <laughs> Some of us are thinking, got anything else? You know? Do you know that's the greatest good he could do? It's to plant amazement and awe in your heart. That will withstand any difficulty. That will carry you and supply you with the resiliency and even a love for others as you're in awe of this God and embrace this God and are transformed by this God and you begin to show His glory to others even in your difficult relationships. Changes everything. It makes you stable and strong and secure and able to persevere. And at the heart of it, just think of it, is amazement. Awe. That's a glorious life. Glorious life to which he calls us. It even says, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 4, it describes salvation as that. He shines into our heart the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We see it in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, His accomplishment in death and resurrection, His at the right hand of God. All of this conveys to us the glory of God. And it's He compares it to the creation. He said, let there be light. Says that's the before and after in the human heart when awe is planted in us. That's a vital aspect of worship. Adoration, awe. It's such that Paul is able to say in that context, the glory of seeing Christ and becoming like Him makes the glory of Mount Sinai not even glorious. You're thinking... Lightning and storm on the mountain. And here comes Moses down and his face is glowing with light. That would be pretty glorious. He says, but seeing the glory of Jesus Christ and having that glory planted in your hearts and begin to be like Jesus, it makes that to be no glory. It's like a kid that has a stick and he's playing a sword with it and then he's offered a real lightsaber. <laughs> Imagine James Mays gets a lightsaber. <laughs> this church would be here for about five minutes. And that's it. That's the new glory. That's the new glory that we have in Christ. That adoration. 
And so there's the birth of adoration in our hearts that we're to cultivate at all times in everything. And another thing I just want to mention that Paul Tripp brought out in his talks over the weekend, we, I saw, I heard three of them uh, because of what had happened with Cynthia. But uh, he talked about how we are trapped in self. We're trapped in self. And he used a verse that we use a lot here, and I've used even recently, Second Corinthians 5, that he died, that we would no longer live for ourselves but for him. And it made me think of this Herman. I've got a, a book of Herman comics that's in our bathroom in the uh, offices. So, But that's just for the staff. Okay. Um, and I love one of them in which these two people are standing outside of this little shack it's a pitched roof, and the, the top of the roof just comes to right here. It's that small. And it's got, I mean, it, it looks too small even to be an outhouse. But it has a little indicator that there's a stove inside. It's got an antenna. And the guy's reading the information sheet because he's a realtor. And he's talking to a guy, and he says, huh, two bedrooms. <laughs> just no way. That's a great picture of us. We think we have such a great thing going. And we're living for ourselves and we're confined to a little shack that nobody else can even get in it. And the freedom that comes when awe is planted in our hearts and we break loose to begin to focus on the glory of God. You talk about a bird out of a cage. It's death to life. Scripture describes it as. And so, all of life becomes doxological. That word doxa, which means glory. All of life, in every part of life, becomes doxological. So, adoration is so important. I mention this because it has to do with the mercies of God that we've just talked about. The mercies of God that claim our adoration. It, it, it says in Psalm 130 verse 4, There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. In other words, there's forgiveness to bring us into amazement and awe at a God who would do this. Especially as we see it in Jesus Christ. That God would take upon himself flesh and that he would die on our behalf even as we were enemies This God acts in this way for our good. When we really see it, we are in awe of Him. And the other part of worship, which we won't spend any time on, is faith. And we give ourselves up to Him. And and that's really this act that He's speaking of here in presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is a great glorious act of faith, of entrusting ourselves to Him. And so it's really a part of adoration and faith, the two things we've dealt with so far. But it has a distinct component or another way of looking at worship, another angle to look at it. And so we want to focus on this for a few minutes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's interesting, Proverbs 23, 26, the parent says, My son, give me your heart. And basically that's what happens. When God 
rescues us, when God transforms us, when we see and understand in at least a beginning way by His grace the mercies of God, when the glory of Christ shines into our heart, we want to give Him our hearts, our whole lives, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And so, in the first place, I want to just look briefly at the effect of mercy in our lives. The effect of mercy. Mercy claims us. Mercy takes hold of us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constrains us. It drives us. It binds us. It takes hold of me. And so it's by those mercies that we will give ourselves away. Calvin says this, A godly mind is not formed to obey God by precepts or warnings as much as by a serious meditation upon the divine goodness toward itself. It's John Calvin. It's not so much to be formed to obey God by just the bare command or by warnings. It's by a serious meditation on the divine goodness toward itself. That's how a godly mind is formed, to give itself away to God. And so Paul says, by the mercies, there will be no sacrificial giving of yourself apart from a serious consideration and understanding of the mercies of God. That's a happy sacrifice. That's the way Jesus put it when he said the kingdom of God is like a treasure a man finds in a field. He sells everything he has to get the treasure because he has to? No, it says for the joy over that treasure, he sells everything. He gives another illustration of the pearl that he, de- he finds and he sells everything to have the pearl. For joy, for joy. So, you see, adoration and amazement, the fear that comes from seeing His forgiveness, this astonishment at His goodness that we must nurture in our hearts, that's what causes us to give ourselves away to Him. For joy, for the happiness of it. That's the kind of obedience that He loves. When he says that we're to give ourselves away as a sacrifice, it shows that really we no longer belong to ourselves. And we see ourselves that way. I'm no longer my own. Similar language, isn't it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, toward the end of the chapter, when he talks about the redemption of Christ. And notice how he puts it. Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You were purchased by Christ, by the love of God that came after you and paid the price for you. You belong to Him. So glorify God in your body. Same thing as this. Let your body be a living sacrifice given up to God for His use, His purposes. And as he says at the end of this verse, this is your spiritual or the the word logikos is used throughout uh, Greek thought 
generally to mean reasonable, rational. It's used again in 1 Peter, perhaps best translated in verse 2, about when you, to, to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, the spiritual. Perhaps spiritual is a good translation, but also this is your reasonable worship. This is worship that makes sense. His glory demands your joy in Him. His, his worship demands you're happily spending yourself for Him. There's a gladness in this. There's, these are the happiest people in the world that see the beauty of God and want to know Him and be like Him and spend their lives admiring Him and doing even their everyday work in, as a way to reflect His glory. As he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That gives a fire and a beauty to every single mundane thing you do. I can remember working at Goodyear right out of college. I was new to these kinds of things of the glory of God. And I worked uh, at the tire tube place, the largest tire tube plant in the world, Gadsden, Alabama. And uh, I worked the night shift. And here I was, tire tube after tire tube after tire tube. And I won't go through the process that I had to do, but I had nightmares for the first two weeks trying to get the process of of putting them on ice and then throwing them in the oven and then pulling them out of the oven without scorching my hands and throwing them on the rack and all these. I mean, I just had nightmares doing it. But truly, in those that year and a half that I worked between uh, college and seminary, I would be there sensing the glory of God in that place that otherwise would have been, what am I doing here, you know? It was just glorious how living for His glory and thinking of His presence as I tried to even focus on doing this particular job the very best way I could to have a sense of fellowship with Him. It transforms your life. And so all of life is to be this offering up. It's, it's of course, taken from the Old Testament sacrifices. And so now it's not an animal I'm bringing. Jesus has sacrificed for me. Now I give myself up to God joyfully. But he says here, the mercies of God, and it's interesting, even in Titus 2, it says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God. The grace of God turns you. The grace of God gives you another taste for something other than sin and the way you've always related to people. And the grace of God transforms you. That's what it does. And you and I must understand in worship, anything less in our public or private worship, anything less or other than fundamentally putting myself in His hands to be His person is not worship. This is reasonable worship. This is spiritual worship. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice. He says, living sacrifice. So we have first the effect of mercy, then the effect of transformation. Back up, please, to Romans chapter 6. Get a little bit of an exposition on this idea of living. 
He has talked about how we were united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection, which means there's a likeness in the way we die to our old life and live a new resurrected life spiritually now that will finally usher into a a completely physical resurrection when Jesus comes. But it is so real... (laughs) that we are dead to our former life and alive to a new life, he says in verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the backdrop to say you're a living sacrifice. You're an alive to God sacrifice. You were dead, but you're not now. And so he says, verse 13, uh, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members as sin as, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But notice, present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Sin will not be your master anymore. But notice, you present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. There's something humbling about this. To say living sacrifice reminds you, I was dead. I was in darkness. I was lost. I was fixed in my sin. But now I'm alive. So you present yourself to Him as one transformed. There's hope in that. There's humility Because you recognize it's only by His salvation that I'm living now. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I present myself to you, Lord, in hope that you have transformed me. You are transforming me. There is a true potential and hope in my offering myself to you as a living sacrifice, alive from the dead. So the effect of mercy causes us to want to give ourselves. The effect of transformation of being brought from death to life means what? I give myself to God. So you see, not giving ourselves up to God is a sign of death. It's a sign of destruction. It's a sign of holding on my life. And and the, the way Jesus put it in John 12 is that if the seed will not bury itself in the ground and die, it will not spring up and bear fruit. It will die alone. So you hold on to your life. You say, I'm not going to entrust it to him. I don't want him to get a hold of me. I don't trust that he'll bring me joy and fulfillment and exhilaration in life. Then you'll be a seed that just dies by itself on a sidewalk. A bird will pick it up and eat it. And that's it for you. But if you're brought from death to life, you will be giving yourself as a living sacrifice to God. What a noble, glorious thing to be in the hands of God. And notice, finally, we're a holy sacrifice. A holy sacrifice. The effect of mercy, the effect of transformation, the effect of fellowship with God. The effect of fellowship with God. I'm always amazed at that passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah sees the glory of God in the temple and the cherubim are crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, your glory fills the earth. And Moses, I mean, sorry, Isaiah 
says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And the emphasis in terms of who God is at that point is His holiness, His majesty, His purity, His glory, and might, and greatness. It strikes awe in Isaiah's heart. And the sin of the mouth is paramount in his mind, but it represents all of his sin and all the sin of the people. And then this holy God takes coals from the fire and he touches his lips and he says, I've now purified you. I've cleansed you. And by that, he cleanses him and he brings him into fellowship with him. And you realize, I would think holiness is what would drive me away from God. But holiness has its final object to draw me in fellowship with him and make me holy like he's holy. In fellowship with God. That gives me hope. When we are called, and we are called, probably more than anything else in Scripture, we're called holy ones. Yeah, you are. You know, you think, whoa, whoa, whoa. I ain't a saint, you know. No, that's, that's what he calls you on purpose. You holy people. You all, if you trust Jesus, you're the holy ones that have been brought near. He has touched the coal, we would say, of the very work of Jesus Christ to your life. The blood of the door has cast over your life. He has passed over you. There is no condemnation for you. You have been brought near into fellowship with Him. You have been made holy. And in fellowship with Him, as He delights in you and draws you near, and you worship Him and adore Him, and you join with the people of God in exploring Him, and His grace continues to work in you, you become holy like He is holy. And you become merciful like He is merciful. You become compassionate like He is compassionate. And so, holiness, fellowship, brings us to do what? Give ourselves up to this God with whom we are in fellowship. And again, this is reasonable worship. It says in Psalm 29 two, give him the glory that is due his name. Here's the glory due his name. Give your life to him. Put it in your hand, his hands. Say, Lord, I present my body, all that I am, represented by this body, Lord, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice, made alive by you, brought into fellowship with you. I am holy by your grace, Lord. I belong to no other. I belong to you. I've, that's what holiness means. I've been separated for your use now. Isn't that wonderful? He would take you and count you his treasure now? I think of that, you know, like you've got one beautiful little ring that's so precious, it's so valuable, you hardly ever put it on your finger. Because you're afraid somebody's just going to cut your finger off to get it. You know, it's just so valuable. It's worth $45,000. And you keep it behind a locked door. And you pull it out and you feast on it. That's the picture of you will be my own possession. 
My holy people that belong to me, I will cherish you. I will treasure you. How could he treasure us? But that's what it means to be his holy ones. And in that atmosphere, we give ourselves away to him, living and holy. And I want to tell you, you are made for this awe. You are made for this worship. You are made to give yourself away to him. And that's why he says, my people have committed two great evils. It's not only that they forsook me, the fountain of living waters. And we've talked about this illustration before. As though there's an oasis. And you're living by the oasis and it's full and rich and cool, fresh water. Trees all around it. It's, it's nice under the shade of those trees. There's a breeze. It's just fantastic. You walk and walk and walk and walk. 15 miles away in the hot desert and you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig a little hole in the ground to hold water and it won't even hold water. He says, you commit two evils. You forsake me, the only source of life. You were made for me, made to worship me, made to trust me, made to give your life away and you're spending it on who knows what. Dear friend, you are bigger than the stuff of this world. You're bigger even than human relationships. You're made to adore God. Look how glorious you are. Don't forsake that oasis to dig a place in the desert and die there. Come to Him through Jesus Christ who has died for sinners and has prepared the way for you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you've come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, that he has suffered on the cross. As Peter says, he has borne our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You died, Lord Jesus. It says, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. Lord, may your death right now, may there be people, Lord, that you would draw to yourself through the precious death of Christ, that they would be drawn to give themselves up to you because of your abundant mercies in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, shine your glory into hearts this morning. Do not let us escape you. Make us run from our pitiful, pathetic little hole in the ground to come to the fountain of living waters, the God who made us, the God who's given His Son for us, the God who will remake us, the God who will make us like Him, who will set us free from our pathetic little shack of self into a life of adoration and amazement at God, however difficult It may be. Oh, bless us, Lord, with the vision of your glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. 
Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?